welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. This is the place where we take a no bullshit look at life's little lessons. Here, together, we find the spiritual glory in even the most wicked hard story. This is a journey from fear back to love and how we can find our greatest strength and happiness in some of the most unlikely places. I believe that if you're willing to change your mind, you can totally change your life. So, are you ready to rewrite your story and choose to live free? Let's do this. Welcome to the Karen Kenny Show. I am so excited to be here today. Number one, because you guys, I just realized that yesterday was the four-year anniversary of the Karen Kenny Show. I I don't even know. I think I was on the treadmill. I just remember all of a sudden going to my sweetie, hey. And then today is my four-year anniversary of the Karen Kenny Show. I'm so super-duper excited. We are coming up, I think it's episode either 210 or 211. That's a shit ton of that's a that's a shit ton of me talking into a mic like a little weirdo <laughs> by myself up here in my office. So you guys, I just want to say thank you so much to every single one of you, every single person who's ever, 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 ever listened to this show. Thank you so much for giving it a shot. Even if you didn't stick around, thank you for giving me a little bit of your time and giving it a little taste, a little sip, sip, as Linda Ty says, to see how it, how it felt for you. Thank you to my loyal listeners who stick around and, and, you know, listen to all the episodes. I appreciate you so much. I mean, the reality of it is, you know, I, I could just keep pumping these suckers out <laughs> into the void because <laughs> I'm I'm just weird enough to do that. But it's so fulfilling and it makes my heart so happy to know that I'm sharing stuff from my heart and somehow it's landing in yours and that you're sticking around and you're continuing to listen. Uh, so just thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. I'm looking forward to the next four years. I can't wait to see how this show continues to grow and evolve. And I think we're coming up on like a hundred thousand downloads or something more. I don't even know. I'll check the numbers later and let you know in the next episode. Uh, so just thank you so much for being a part of the Karen Kenny show community and family and clan. I appreciate you guys. Um, there's something else I want to say. Oh, I'm also going to let you know at the very end of this, um, the early bird rate for uh, my retreat is going to be ending. So guys, don't dilly dally. If you want to come to that sucker, jump on it while you can still have a nice little discount for the rate itself and then also for the hotel room. All right, we're going to dive in today's episode. Uh, I'm calling this episode, I think, Evolved Masshole. <laughs> evolved masshole. I even have, if you're listening to this and not watching, you don't see, I have one of my many masshole shirts on and uh, it's, it says Massachusetts townie attitude. <laughs> so here's the deal. There's a couple of reasons why I want to talk about this. Number one, the word evolved masshole is a term that I coined to describe myself. And uh, I'll dive into that a little bit. And I know that a few of my friends, or at least one for sure, who is a friend of mine, uh, she's adopted the the term to describe herself as well. Uh, and I'll I'll tell you that story in a minute. So it got me thinking about this because yesterday uh, I was having a little issue with my eye. So if you're watching the show, you can see that I have my glasses on instead of my contacts in. And I always wear my contacts. And it's not because I don't love my glasses, right? I, I don't, it's not about, oh, I don't like how I look in my glasses, whatever. I think my glasses are kind of cute. It's just that I don't always like shit sitting on my face all day. And certainly not when I'm going to the gym and I'm doing playing with the dogs and like doing a bunch, you know, working out, whatever. Uh, I just don't want stuff hanging on my face. And I think that I really, because I used to wear glasses all the time. And I think when I became a yoga teacher, um, I just didn't like stuff on my face when I was like hanging upside down and doing down facing dog and all that stuff. So I kind of get out of the habit of wearing them. But yesterday, 
my uh, my right eye was giving me uh, a lot of trouble for like over 24 hours. And it felt like, you guys, have you ever gotten something in your eye, like a lash or a piece of dirt or dust, like a little piece of sand, anything? And it feels like your eye is on fire. And I was like, am I somehow randomly getting conjunctivitis? Is there an eyelash in my eye? Like I was doing everything I could. I was taking Q-tips and trying to like flip my eye. My eye was so angry and it hurt so bad. And I had to keep blinking and it was watering and it was like, oh, it was just, it was like so not soothing. So luckily for me, one of my friends, uh, Tony Sacco is my eye guy. He's my eye doctor. And I call him T. So I'm like, hey, I like I text him. I'm like, Dr. T, man, some some my eye, my right eye. I said my right eye. But here's what I really said. My right eye is acting suspicious as fuck. <laughs> That's what I said to him. Oh, my God. And so, you know, he's wicked busy. This is Tuesday. And I knew I know he has Wednesdays off. So thank God. Fingers crossed. Like lucky duck. He's like, all right, busy. I'm packed today, but call the office and we'll slide you in there. So he snuck me in. He takes a look at my eye, right? This, trust me, stay with me. I'm going to make the connection to Masshole, right? So uh, he looks at my eye, blah, blah, blah. Long story short is we come. he comes to the conclusion, yeah, I got a little thing on my cornea. And did you guys, I'm going to drop a little information. Did you know that the cornea is the most sensitive part of your whole body? like super duper duper extra wicked sensitive. So, um, you know, and the cornea is that, that, you know, that I, I think of it like gelatinous. It's like that, you know, that concavy pot over your eye, not, not the eye color, not the pupil, but the stuff in front of it. That's most outward facing to the world is super duper like hypersensitive, which makes sense. Like now when you think about like why they created mace, it's like, if you want to disable somebody like, like put something peppery in their eyes, you know, like you will take somebody out like at the knees with that. So anyways, he says to me, so uh, let me get this straight. Like you get up in the morning, you put your contacts in and I'm like, yeah. He goes, and then like you sit around staring at your computer all day. And I'm like, yeah, he goes, and then like, what time do you take him out? So we're doing the whole routine. And then he looks at me and he says, so number one, ah, you're getting a little older. Your eyes are getting a little drier. Number two, you're wearing your contacts like 16 hours a day and you're not taking a break. And it's not like you look away from the computer a lot or whatever, like you're doing whatever. And he's like, he's basically laying it out for me step by step by step by step, how I'm my own worst enemy in this case. And I look at him and I go, well, when you say it like that, and he goes, oh, like when you, when I say it accurate, like when I say it, how it is. And in that moment, I have such an appreciation for him because I'm like, there's my fellow mass hole. There's my little mass hole friend. <laughs> Cause that's the thing about most people from Massachusetts, especially those Boston kids and those uh, North shore kids and the Lawrence kids, whatever. They kind of give it to you straight. They do not beat around the bush, right? They just go right in and they say, Hey, Hey, I'm just going to tell you, like, this is what I'm seeing. And, I, and it was the funniest thing. And it got me to thinking about like why I love, people from Massachusetts so much. And, right, and I'm going to dive into the whole mass hole thing and why the evolved, I always say hashtag evolved mass hole, why that evolved pot is also wicked important. So here's the thing, the word mass hole, okay? First of all, so boston.com did uh, an article back in like September of 2022, uh, totally talking about this word. And asking people from Massachusetts. And trust me, even if you're not from Massachusetts, I'm going to make some points throughout this episode as to uh, why it's important for you. So I'm talking about my state because that's what I can really talk about well, but I'm going to, I'm going to, no matter where you live in the world, this is also a little, a little spirit, a little storytelling and a little uh, spiritual principles. Okay. So Boston.com does this whole article on mass holes and it asks people who, who identify that way, who are from Massachusetts to talk about what this word means to them. And did you know, first of all, that the word mass hole was officially put into the Oxford Dictionary in 2015? And this is what they say that it is. It's defined as it's a quote unquote, a term of contempt for a native or inhabitant of the state of Massachusetts. <laughs> 
I mean, first of all, why does it have to be a term of contempt, right? We're going to get to that in a minute. And then even Foda's travel, you know, Foda's F-O-D-O-I, who does all the travel books and stuff. They hashed out the term. They put it, they literally put this in the Massachusetts Foda's travel. It says, uh, the, the article, there was an article that says, quote, planning a trip to Boston soon, prepare to meet some mass holes. <laughs> Okay, here's the thing about the word mass holes. It is usually used to, uh, you know, it's usually used in relation to aggressive drivers or just, you know, yeah, let's just say that. It's aggressive drivers. That's what a lot of comments in this article had to say. Uh, but other people have different spins on it. And this is like more my point of view. So I'm going to read some of these because I think it's wicked funny. So uh, one person said that mass holes are defined by their feisty spirit. Uh, double amen hands to that. Uh, one woman said this. She said, I'm uh, I'm legitimately proud of the tribe of born and raised Massachusetts crew to be a part of uh, a proud tribe of born and raised Massachusetts crew. I wear it like a badge of honor and courage and I'm wicked proud of my accent. Yeah, me too, Elaine. Way to go. And we'll talk about the accent in a minute because uh, it's all wrapped up into this whole larger theme. Somebody else said this. Mass holes, they overreact to minor conflict with a middle finger and maybe an F you. <laughs> a, a little flip in the bird, right? It says most likely laughs about it though one second later and starts humming because they're not actually mad. <laughs> it says they're good people with brash sarcasticness. Ooh, I was just talking to one of my clients, one of my one-to-one -one clients in the quest about this today, um, about how... There's a brash sarcasticness that kind of happens with kids from Massachusetts. Now, I've been living in New Hampshire for a long enough time now to also recognize it a little bit here. Uh, it is. I said I said to this person, I'm like, uh, you live in the fucking granite state. It's called the granite state. There is a hardness about people from this region. You know what I mean? Okay. Um, and then this is this is this this next description is kind of how I see it. Uh, so this this was kind of nice. This person said to me, it's a term of endearment. Mm, me too. Me too. Uh, and it's a descriptor of where I'm from. This is Amelia from Natick saying this. She says it's not really pejorative to me anymore, uh, but you're such a mass hole would mean someone is displaying the qualities that we are known for to the nth degree. Listen to how she puts this. She says, could be positive, like snow blowing your neighbor's driveway. It's a mass hole move, right? It could be negative, driving aggressively, but it could be neutral and just be like dunks. <laughs> so speaking of dunks, if you saw the Ben Affleck Dunkin' Donuts commercial during the Super Bowl, that right there, mass hole. You know, when the guy pulls up and he's like, sir, you can get this deal for like a pejorative dollar, like just an extra dollar. And then the guy pulls up to the window and he's like, how's your mother? How's your father? I was like, oh my God, I was in heaven. I was like, oh, the sound of my people, right? If you watch the movie Goodwill Hunting with Matt Damon and again, Ben Affleck, and you see those characters, and that toughness and that grit and that resilience and that hardiness and that loyalty and they'll just drop it a dime and go defend their friend and like whatever. That right there, that's the hot beat, the accent, the whole vibe, right? The hot beat of a mass hole. Okay. So why am I talking about this today? Because it got me to thinking um, on an even deeper level. I'm going to circle back to the accent in a minute. Um, but so my friend, Jessica Todd, uh, now her married name is Jessica Belanti. She is a well-known hairstylist, salon owner, uh, hair genius. She's like an artist. She is an artist, a creative artist when it comes to hair. And she was doing a Facebook Live today talking about how there are big changes happening in her business and how she left her old business um, and is creating a whole new salon. And it's just going to be fucking incredible. And I'm so proud of her, but it has not been an easy transition. There's been some shit going on, right? There's been some shit going on. And she was talking about in this episode or on this, in this Facebook live, about how she's really proud of herself for her resiliency and for her grit. 
and um, how she's learning like who has her back and who her people are. And then she mentioned uh, during the Facebook live because she, she could see that I was watching. And she was like, as you know, as my friend KK always says, as Karen always says, like we joke, hashtag evolved mass holes. What she was talking about by that and how I mean that is that, you know, we as people, I'm wicked proud to be from Massachusetts. It's why I, even though I've lived in New Hampshire for a really long time, I still consider Massachusetts like my home, like my home state. You know what I'm saying? Um, but I have also evolved out of the a lot of uh, the tendencies of being a mass hole. But that doesn't mean that I'm still not in touch with those parts of myself. And this is the piece that I really want to kind of dive into. This is the more like kind of spiritual evolution piece. Okay. So one of the things about being me and having a Boston accent or a Lawrence accent or whatever people want to call it, people, most people, um, you know, connect it with a, with a Boston accent is that so often people think when they hear my accent, I've heard people talk about it, that the some people fucking love it. Like my friend, Brad Jensen, he's like from Utah. And he says like, when he comes to Boston, he's like, oh my God, I wish I could just talk like that. You know, he, he loves the accent, but not everybody does. And a lot of people think that it makes you sound stupid. It makes you sound ignorant. It makes you sound uneducated because, you know, we drop the eyes and we add things in other places and whatever. So it can be really easy to get pigeonholed uh, by that accent. It's why so many Boston pe people from Boston who go to LA and become actors, they actively work to try and lose their accent because it can kind of denote and stick you into a certain class in a certain place geographically, it just slams you right onto the map. I'm personally a fan of accents. I love accents. I love Southern accents. I love Northern accents. I love British accents. I love New Zealand accents. I love Irish accents, Scottish accents, Australia. Like I just love all, Jamaican. I love all the accents. I think getting to hear in somebody's voice where they're from where they came from, where they're coming from, because so much is tied into place. So much is tied into the places where we were raised and born and grew up and spent time. Those first earliest years, when we are at our most impressionable, when we are at our most conditionable, right? Is what we talk about this in hypnosis all the time, right? Those, those earliest years of your environment and your experiences, man, do they leave a mark. Man, do they leave a, a fingerprint on your soul. And we take that with us <coughs> into these more um, older, more evolved versions of us. But those, those earliest impressions, they do have an effect on our identity. And this is really important. Because the ways that we identify about where we're from, a lot of times why people want to lose their accent or why they switch culturally the way that they talk is because there might be some shame around where they're from. Remember, like I've been in rooms where somebody hadn't, hadn't heard me speak yet and accents come up and I've heard people say, you know, I've heard people say, oh, Boston accents make people sound so stupid. They think it's a um, like a flat, like a flat and a kind of, uh, I don't know, just like, just not an attractive accent. Although for me, it's one of my favorite accents. <laughs> like, I, mean, I mean, I'm obviously a little biased, right? I love it. But here's my point, right? That, that part of me that grew up where I grew up and how I grew up and whatever, you know, the singer Gavin DeGraw, he has a line that I love. And he says, part of where you're going like part of where you're going, your vision, your trajectory, your, your goal, your dreams, where, part of where you are heading in life, in your business, in your life, in your relationships, right? Part of where you're going is knowing where you're coming from. And I think that if we don't embrace those parts of ourselves, those earlier parts of ourselves, and for me, that's like that mass hole part of myself. Like I can look back at things I've said, places I've gone, behaviors I've done, like, oh my God, choices I've made. 
And there are times when I can look back and I, I do kind of like this one-eyed thing where I go like, uh, uh, like I, like if you can't, you're not, if you're not watching this, you can't see my face, but I'm making this face where I'm kind of like squinting and a little bit cringing, like, ah, God, but you know what? I don't want to have shame about those old parts of myself. You know, you guys have heard me talk about Vicky with two K's from Lawrence, right? So Vicky is one of those parts of my personality and I have multiple parts and you know what? So do you. If you are not familiar with the work of Richard Swartz, Internal Family Systems, IFS, I was talking about Vicky with two Ks from Lawrence and this other part of me that I call the little bunny and like different parts of me long before I even knew that there was a thing called Internal Family Systems and parts work. But if you've ever said this line, there's a part of me that wants to this, and there's a part of me that wants to that, then you already have the basis of internal family systems that we have these different parts of ourselves. And I'll never forget going to the funeral. I think you've heard me mention this before on another episode. When I went to the funeral one time of one of my um, junior high school teachers, Mr. Bruda, Mr. Bruda was a beloved teacher and a coach, a volleyball coach across the board. Um, he just made a mark on a lot of kids' lives in Lawrence. And when we went to his funeral, there were, it was so incredible. Not that he obviously had passed away, but what was incredible is the way the community came together. Because that's one thing I will tell you about mass holes. We can, uh, mass hole kids are like the most loyal the most loyal people I have ever met in my life. So at Mr. Bruda's, you know, funeral, it's just packed. It's packed with kids that I knew in grade school and grammar school, elementary school, junior high, high school, like college, right? You're just seeing everybody kind of come because he was a beloved teacher. And then I also got to see a shit ton of my teachers from when I was a kid. And one of the teachers that there are several teachers that have had, had a huge impact on me. Uh, you've heard me talk about Miss Kayla Feb before. Uh, game changer, life changer for me. Uh, but Sue Callahan was also another one of those teachers for me. And she was my English teacher in my, uh, I don't know if it was my junior year, or my senior year, but she was one of the first teachers, like part of the work that we did with her is she gave us we had to get these big, like, you remember those three ring, those, those not three ring binders, but those binders, those mead binders with the spiral thing, big fat suckers. So we had to get one of those. And uh, all year long, she would make us over the weekend or whatever, we would have to write a certain number of pages and then turn them in and she would read them and she would leave us little comments in the side. So it was one of my first really big journaling um, experiences because up until that point, like I started journaling when I was like 12 or so right after my mother died, but it was the first time I was letting anybody else read it. So letting a teacher nonetheless into your psyche was a very powerful thing. And she used to write me the most um, encouraging comments <clears throat> on the sides of my paper. And I still actually have that notebook. <clears throat> it meant that much to me. And she was one of the first people to tell me that I had a point of view, that I had a voice and that what I had to say um, matted. And that was like huge. Like, I mean, it was huge. It was huge, 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 and more huge. So I want to give her a little shout out here because she was, uh, some teachers, man, they change our lives. But I saw Miss Callahan at that funeral and I was telling her what an impact she had on me. And I was telling her what I had been up to in that meantime, right? Like how I'm a spiritual mentor and I'm doing all these things. And, you know, we were kind of laughing. We shed a few tears. And she uh, looked at me and she grabbed my hand and she said, you can take the girl out of Lawrence, but you can't take the Lawrence out of the girl. And I was like, that's it exactly. This is what I'm talking about, about being an evolved mass hole. Is that if you have any shame about younger versions of you, old choices that you made, old parts of yourself that you would rather just kind of hide in the closet and push aside or whatever. Here's the thing. Wherever I go, I don't try to like ditch those parts of myself, even the parts, those old parts of me. Like I look back at some pictures and I look at my hair and my eyeliner and like, like all the way, like the clothes, like all the way down the line. And I just go, Oh, God bless, God bless Vicky with two K's from Lawrence, man. That girl was trying so hard. She was trying to survive. She was trying to thrive. She was trying to figure shit out. That girl was dog paddling in the deep end. 
and she was tired, like tired at times. And, you know, it's interesting being a storyteller and being a writer, because one of the things that I discovered in writing my memoir, like whenever people would meet me and they'd say, oh, you're writing a book, you're writing a memoir, what it's, what's it about? And I always used to say the same thing. I would say, it's about my mother's murder. And it wasn't until many years later that um, I think it was at the time my writing coach, Sarah Lovett, she said to me uh, in a very gentle and compassionate way, she's like, you know, you think your book is about your mother, but this is your story too. This is about you. And when I when I realized that, what really sunk in deeply for me is that so much about my book is about belonging and the desire and the need and the longing to belong somewhere. And so I said, you know, I always thought that my, my, my memoir was about my mother's murder, but it's also about how I am no longer willing to murder off parts of myself to fit in anywhere. I'm no longer willing to murder off, to kill off, to push away, to abandon parts of myself to fit in to anything. Not relationships, not businesses, not other people's expectations, not other people's whatever. So I'm not cutting off parts of myself. I'm not hacking myself to pieces anymore. I'm not Cirque du Soleil myself into some version because all of that stuff, the people pleasing, the Cirque du Soleil, the um, I'll just try to be whatever version of me you prefer so that you won't abandon me or reject me or leave me or stop loving me or I'll get you to love me if I do this. Like, oh my fucking God. If you can relate to this, just take a moment. First of all, double A men hands and then just take a moment, seriously. Just, just put a hand or two over your hat and take a big breath in, man. And let's really just kind of honor those earlier versions of ourselves that were doing the best that they knew how to do, that were really just trying to find a safe place in the world. They were really, really just trying to self-regulate and self-resource their nervous system. You know what I mean? Because that is the number one thing that your nervous system is asking is, am I safe? Am I safe? And if we don't feel like who we really are is welcome somewhere, we will hide, we will twist, we will contort, we will perform, we will pretend, we will protect, we will do whatever we gotta do. So I'm just gonna let that land for a moment. And the evolved part of me that mass hole part of me who also with her grit and her resiliency and her persistence and her strength and her courage and her sassiness and her fuck you-ness and her suck it in a bucket-ness, that part of me is also the part of me that kept me going, that sent me to the books, that sent me to the library, that had me raise my hand, that had me be willing to look stupid, to ask questions, to find to find my mentors, to find those books, to go on those spiritual pilgrimages, to become a yoga teacher. That part of me that was not willing to abandon myself and leave myself behind and give up on my dream, I'm still to this day learning how to dream big. I mean, I'm still working on really allowing myself to expand past um, the limitations of my childhood, the limitations of, of how and where I grew up. Like I'm still like learning to expand my mind about what's possible for me and allowing myself to go, yeah, it's okay that you dream about having a, a best-selling book someday. Yeah, it's okay. It, it, why not you? Why not you? You know, why not allow yourself to dream about having, you know, your book made into a movie? Like, why not? And when I look back, I was just telling a friend the other day, I said, you know, I have no doubt that the reason why, no matter how it came about, the reason why that I got to meet Oprah, why I was able to go and have that experience is because I had thinking about it. I'd been thinking about it and dreaming about it since 1986 when she first went on the air. And I was a weird little kid in Lawrence Mass. And I just thought, oh my God, 
who is this person? And I thought she has this show. And then she started this book club and then this super soul set, like all this stuff. And I was just like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, right? Now, I, I don't know if I'll ever be on Super Soul Sunday. Like I still hold that dream and that vision that somehow, some way, my book, when it comes out, will land land in her, her sphere of energy or influence and she'll think it's good or so. I don't know, I, because this is me evolving out of the limitations and the constricts and the constructs of what's possible for a kid from Lawrence. What's possible for this little mass hole, but this little mass hole has fucking evolved and she's done some work. She's also had a blast along the way, but you know, I've been knocked on my ass a thousand times and I've been left like bruised and bloody and bleeding. You know what I'm saying? And it's that mass holy part of me that has also helped me to get to my hands and knees to find a fucking railing or a buddy or an arm or somebody to like help me get back up. Because that's one of the things that I'll say. We are, we are, if not anything, tough little motherfuckers. <laughs> that is, mass hole kids, if you're listening, shout out from my heart to yours, right? So we, we're not going down, most of us, without a fight. So here's the thing. No more shaming these earlier versions of us. The work is to do the work to evolve. But we don't abandon those younger versions. I always say, like, when I step on a stage, I bring forward all parts of myself. I bring forward two-year-old me, four-year-old me, eight-year-old me, right? Tomboy me. I, 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 I bring all the parts of myself, 14-year-old me, 12-year-old me who just lost her mother, right? 21-year-old me right? The, the part of me that used to drink and do drugs and do all, smoke cigarettes. In fact, I was telling somebody about smoking cigarettes today. I was laughing my ass off. Part of me that used to do all the stuff, right? The part of me that, that start, like loved to read books and discovered A Course in Miracles and discovered yoga and just like all the stuff, all those parts of me. The part of me that used to do stupid shit, like like, I, you guys, I could tell you so many stories. <laughs> oh my God. One Here's a story. One of the things that I used to do with my friends in, in high school, when I used to get shit-faced every weekend, but never to the point, here's the, the one good thing I will say about my drinking days, is that I drank and I had a good time, but I never did passed out drunk. I did a lot of drugs too, but I never got to the point where I was like sloppy, falling down, puking all over myself. But man, did I do a lot of substances <laughs> and I got lucky. I'm not lying. I'm crossing my fingers. I'm just saying like double A men hands. I got lucky a few times with the amount of drugs that I did that I didn't end up in a, in a bad place or dead. But here's the thing. One of the things we used to do is literally we would call it quote unquote, there was a name for it, doing the garbage. So we would get really drunk, take some mescaline, do all this stuff. And then we would go out into the community and we would walk around Lawrence in the middle of the night we would literally walk up and over people's cars. We had like no respect, like no awareness. So you basically had kids raising kids. We were just like teenagers, stupid teenagers raising each other because a lot of hands-off parenting back in the day, right? We would just be out in the streets, wandering around, smoking cigarettes, getting high, doing whatever we were doing, going to Riley's roast beef to get a, to get a large, uh, like a uh, sauce mayo uh, 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 right on an onion roll jesus christ back in the day all the stuff i used to eat and do but here's the thing we'd be be walking up and over like the trunks of their cars their back windshield the roof of their cars down the front we just didn't care then we would go and we would like throw snow in like mailbox like stupid not cool stuff then we would go to the liquor store right after the liquor store was closed Right. Usually before the liquor store was closed, if we wanted somebody to buy us booze, <laughs> we would go to the packy and we'd be like, we stand outside of the packy and we'd be like, hey, we'll give you we'll give you like five bucks, ten bucks if you buy us a, a six pack or what wine coolers, whatever, some Boone's Farm, some Mad Dogs, <laughs> whatever we were, Bud Lights, whatever we were drinking. Right. But then on the nights when we were just bored, we would go to the liquor store and I would get in the dumpster. And I would take all the cardboard that that poor bastard who owned the liquor store or the employees had spent putting it away. And I would just get in there and I would huck it all out. And my friends would stand outside like cheering me on. And we would just make a fucking mess. 
a mess. And we thought it was funny as shit. Okay. When I think back on that part of me, that version of me, I go like, oh, like now, like I, I do, I get a little like, ah, like a little like, oh God, here's the thing. I'm not going to deny it. I did those things. I've done all kinds of things I'm not proud of. And I've also done a lot of work unshaming myself. I've done a lot of work looking back at the things that I was like, God, that was really fucking selfish. Or, oh my God, why did you think that that was a good idea? And here's the reality. When you ask that question, what was I thinking? It's usually because in that moment, you weren't thinking at all. Because kids who come from highly traumatized backgrounds in childhoods, if you have a really high ACE score, right? Look up what a, the ACE score for children, right? You'll, you'll see what I'm talking about. And when you look that up, I have a really high ACE score. So the thing is, is that when you are in a constant state of like anxiety and stress and trauma and whatever, the front part of your brain that actually makes good decisions, it's not actually turned on. Add booze and drugs, you know, to that alcohol, whatever. It's not like you're actually thinking. You're not thinking at all. So when I look back at those parts of myself, um, you know, and whether I was doing it because I actually thought it was funny or my friends thought it was funny and I like to make them laugh or I was trying to do it to fit in, although I don't feel, I think it was, I initiated it like it was my stupid idea. So I don't really think it was about a fitting in thing because I was kind of a leader, but I wasn't really a follower, but I know I just did some shit that I think back and I'm like, oh my God, man, that was that was not soothing and that was not kind. And that was so, so I'm really sorry to the guy who used to own that liquor store. Oh my God. Um, but here's the point I'm trying to make ultimately is that nowadays, right? I look back and I send that part of me compassion. I've done the work to forgive those parts of myself, right? There's still some rough edges. Every once in a while, I have a memory and I go, oh, like I do that, you know, that teeth sucking sound, like, Ooh, and you know, and all I can do, I'll never forget Tick Hotnan Tay, as some people call him, the 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 brilliant um, monk. He once said this thing. He said, you know, a lot of times people say, so they say they say in twelve step programs, recovery programs, right? There's a line where they say you can't you can't build a better past, and I understand what they're saying by that, right? Like you can't go back and undo these things in the sense of. Like, I can't go back and pick up all that cardboard, right? However, Tikhat Nan said this thing that I love where he says, the way that you heal the past, the way that you can reconcile and heal the past is by what you're doing now. And if you choose to now be um, better, for lack of a better word, different, more kind, more compassionate, more loving. If you slow down so you're more mindful and you're actually thinking and you're making better choices that are in alignment with your core values, like who you truly are, that is how you ultimately heal the past. And you've heard me talk about it too with my teacher Ashwaran, my meditation teacher Ashwaran, where he says, you know, like, and I've told this story so many times, but he says, you know, if you used to date somebody and they had a dog and you were really mean to that person's dog, like verbally by telling that dog that you're an ugly dog, like, right? Like if you were, if you were like, you're an ugly dog and like you said that or whatever, and you felt bad about it later, you don't now have to like, once you've broken up, like fly back across country and go find that dog and apologize to that dog. He says, what you do is you are incredibly kind to every dog that you meet now and moving forward. And that's the thing, you guys, we evolve. And as we evolve, we don't, though, abandon those earlier versions of us. We don't lock them in a closet because what happens is if you can't reconcile those shadowy parts of yourself, those clumsy parts of yourself, those awkward or cruel or selfish or unkind or whatever, those very uh, younger versions of us, God bless, we think we know everything and we're just kind of, you know... <laughs> idiots in a lot of ways <laughs> think we know everything but really we know nothing right the older i get the more i realize that i don't know shit about shit um but here's the thing 
Um, I don't want to abandon those parts of myself. I'm not killing off those parts of myself anymore. So I say, hey, man, we're going to dust ourselves off. And we're going to, those parts are coming along for the ride because I have a deep appreciation for those parts of myself, even the cringy ones. Like, I just think like, oh my God, right? And I'm like, all right, still have a little work to do if I'm still feeling that, you know, that physical response or whatever. But here's the thing. When we evolve, right? When we start to evolve, it doesn't mean that we give up our place of origin, right? Meaning like you can move away. I've moved away, but I'm still a mass hole. I'm just hashtag a little more evolved. So I know who I am. I know where I come from and I know to whom I belong. And I'm taking all of that towards where I'm going. And I still don't know in a lot of ways, like, where am I going? I don't know, man. There's always a fucking surprise around the next corner. Because as Oprah said so beautifully, she says, you know, God dreams a dream uh, bigger for me than I could ever dream for myself. And I believe that too. I might have some ideas. I might have some thoughts. I might have some little dreams. But whatever is in store, I think in so many ways is so much more grand and glorious and surprising than I could ever imagine that there, there, there is stuff afoot. There is stuff at work and we are part of the evolution, not only our own personal evolution, you guys, but the evolution of this world and the evolution part of the work is wicked important because there's nothing wrong with being a mass hole. And, and, right, I wanted to explore what it meant to expand my mind and expand my heart and learn new things and go to different places and see how other people live. I mean, one of the greatest things I ever, 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 ever did for myself was be an East Coast kid on the West Coast. And I think West Coast kids should come East. And I think North kids should go South and South kids should go North and that we experience the world. And, you know, some kids, I mean, I, I used to laugh like at BU, BU was like culture shock for me. I'm not going to lie. Being at Boston university, I was like, where did all these rich kids come from? Like I, I, I was just, I'm not kidding. I, I was just amazed. Like I was a kid from Lawrence mass going to BU still in some ways shocked that I got in. And my friend Dana Wusu and I, Boo Boo, we used to laugh and say, man, we just used to kind of look around and be like, are they going to realize they let us in? Like we were waiting to be kicked out at any minute. We're like, oh man, do they know that we're here? <laughs> you know, like how did we, how did we get in here? And so, um, you know, so, but part of it was, you know, realizing like, okay, here I am. I'm in this school with a bunch of people from a lot of different countries and places and personalities and like, you know, eating different food and teaching me about, you know, all kinds of stuff. And it was just like, whoa. And then right after college, you know, then I went and worked at the, the Hyatt Regency uh, in Cambridge. I was the concierge at the Hyatt Regency in Cambridge, right on the river, that awesome building that kind of looks like a, a, a Mayan kind of step building, right? And I met people from all over the world, international travelers, famous people, famous athletes. Like it was just like my, my eyes just got opened up to what was possible. And I'm going to be talking about that in my next episode. I'm going to be talking about possibility. And so being able to go to California and just see the vibe there and meet the people there and the, the just the attitude and the openness and like, Man, you want to talk about like doing some doing some some work on a DNA cellular level and just going like what the fuck? <laughs> like it was like, what is happening? That was me the whole time in California, like, what the fuck is happening right now? But in such a good way. And I experienced so much magic and so much miracle uh stuff in California. It was incredible. So one of the best times of my life. So here's what I'm trying to say, you guys. We all get to evolve. And here's the thing, there will be people from your place of origin, and I talked about this, I think last week or two weeks ago, who are not always gonna be psyched about your growth, who are not always gonna support this newly evolved part of you, because sometimes there's a fear that they think you're gonna abandon them and leave them behind. 
but sometimes we do have to leave behind certain mindsets. We do have to leave behind old ways of being that no longer are in alignment for us. It's not true for us anymore. It's not genuine. It's not right. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't mean that we kick people to the curb or friendships to the curb, but sometimes that's a natural evolution too. And those things and those relationships, those friendships or whatever will naturally and organically start to fall away. Not because you're better than anybody, but because you're different now. And that's another thing to keep in mind. I see it a lot when people start a spiritual journey and they kind of get a little uppity about like, well, they don't. And I said, hey, look, I want to point something out and make it wicked clear. They haven't changed. They're still that friend, that person that you've been hanging out with for years. You've changed. So we're not going to sit here with contempt and look down on them in judgment. You're going to own the fact that maybe you've changed and you've outgrown the situation, but we don't have to shit on them. You know what I mean? You don't have to say like, hey, you know, whatever. So this is the thing, right? Whatever your version of mass hole is, <laughs> I'm sure different states, like the main, the mainers are called maniacs. I don't know what, what other people are called, right? But if you have some version of this, I want you to know, like, let's embrace those younger parts of ourselves because they were doing the best they could. They were trying to get us to the next place. And man, if you're alive and you can hear the sound of my voice, we made it. We made it. Let's celebrate that and let's have some gratitude for that. And we get to bring all those different parts of yourself along the way. And I always say, like I always say, I give Vicky with two Ks a job. I'm not trying to kill her. I love her, man. That, that girl, that part of me, man, has she hustled on my behalf? Has she gone to war in a lot of ways on my behalf? And so, um, you know, she's, um, she's, she's the part of me that you want. And as a friend of mine once said to me, he says, you're a tender cut of tough. He's like, you might be one of the most compassionate and loving people that I know. And he said, but I still want you on my side in a rock fight. Um, and that's, that's, the, that's the evolved, hashtag evolved mass hole part of me. So I want to I want to end this episode with um, a final description that somebody said in this uh, Boston.com uh, article because I thought it was hysterical. And this one guy said, my friend, Boston Mike. So this is what he calls his friend, Boston Mike. My friend, Boston Mike. He always has something to say or a pizza slice to throw at a Yankees game. Or he's always got something smart to say, but he is the best friend you could hope to have. He helps you shovel snow or he'll put a toaster on the ground to save you a packing spot. <laughs> he says, except for his massive mass hole ways, even then he's okay most days. He's okay most days. And this is what I'm saying, you guys, right? So embrace those younger parts of yourself. Don't kill off parts of yourself. We can adapt. We can transform. We can grow. We can expand. We can change. But let's honor all those younger versions of us, those earlier versions of us that got us to where we are now. We don't have to shame. So much of this work that I do is helping people to unshame. Is like I always say, I use hypnosis to dehypnotize people from those old stories, those old patterns, those old habits, those old identities and beliefs. So we can step into more empowering ways of living and being and thinking and speaking. We do a lot of that unshaming work where we look back and we say, no, I'm not going to shame those parts of myself anymore. And I'm not going to use spirituality and I'm not going to use like personal development stuff to shit on myself and to think I'm a fucking like project that needs to be fixed because you're not broken. We're all in the process of evolution. And sometimes we take a pause and sometimes we take a step back. And sometimes, man, we do like, we do a high jump and we surprise even ourselves. So from my evolved mass hole hat to whatever kind of hat you're carrying around these days, just know that I appreciate you. I see you. I celebrate those parts of you, even the ones that you might still have a little embarrassment about or whatever. Let's tend to those parts of ourselves. Let's deeply understand those parts of ourselves. Let's forgive those parts of ourselves if they need forgiving. 
And let's keep moving forward into the evolvement of our truest nature. Let's keep returning home to who we truly are, which I believe is love. So wherever you go, you guys, take all those parts of you, the most loving and generous and kind and compassionate and funny and weird and silly, just like all of it, right? All of it, take it forward with you. Wherever you go, leave yourself, leave the people, leave the animals, the planet, the place, the environment better than how you found it. Wherever you go, may you be a blessing. Bye. Hey, you guys. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Karen Kenny Show. (laughs) I super duper appreciate your time friendship, and support. And look, if something that I shared from my heart today somehow landed in yours, I'd love to hear about it. So please tag me on Facebook or Instagram or IG stories or wherever the cool kids are hanging out these days and let me know what your favorite part was or what you found most helpful. You can find me over at Karen Kenny Live. That's Karen, K-E-N-N-E-Y-L-I-V-E. And if you're digging what I'm saying and you want to hear more, I'd be wicked grateful if you could go to iTunes and subscribe and leave a review because you guys, that's how you'll help me to keep spreading the love. And if you can think of someone that could benefit from hearing this episode, please share it with them. I'd also love to stay connected with you. So if the feeling is mutual, please go to karenkenny.com backslash freebie and download my free guide to building your spiritual team. Until next time, my brothers and sisters, keep living in the fearless flow. Know that I see you, I appreciate you, and I love you. And wherever you go, may you be a blessing.